We're in a series that uh, we are, it's just four weeks. We took a week off last week, but this is the third week, and we're looking at a, a short little book in the Old Testament called Haggai, and it's, that's the name of a, a prophet, which is someone that hears from God and speaks from God to his people. And it's a, it's a short little book, really, in the series we're looking at is about rebuilding. It's, we've been talking about how each of us is building our life. Each of us is working at building a life, and we might not think about it all the time, but we are thinking, we are living our life saying, okay, I want to have this job, and I want to have these kids, and I want to have this house, and I want to have, I have these goals, and I want to be this kind of person, and, and slowly, over time, we're building a life. Sometimes, very consciously, we have goals and plans, and, and you might be someone that's very kind of type A and, and really plans out your life. And, or it might just be that it's happening. You're one kind of one day at a time building the life that you have. You got to where you are today because of decisions that you made in the past. You chose to do a certain school and take a certain job and you chose to marry a certain guy or marry a certain girl and you are where you are today because of choices. You have been building a life and that's really what we've been talking about is what does it mean to actually build a life? And, and the reality is it's easy to be distracted. We, we can build a life and we might even have good intentions and good focus. And for those of us that are Christians might say, I want to build my life on God. I want to have a focus on God. I want my relationships and my career and my time and my money and my choices. I want, I want it to be about God. And, and we can have those desires and yet it's easy to get distracted. It's easy to get off course. It's easy to lose focus. And then it's easy to miss out because God has a plan for you. He has a desire for you. God, God wants to give you friendship. God wants to give you community. God wants to give you a relationship with him. God has desires for your life. When God looks at your life, there are things that God wants to bring about for you to be able to experience in your life. And we want those things, and yet it's easy to get off focus. It's easy to get distracted. And oftentimes, we need to rebuild we need to take whatever has been there and then refocus and begin to rebuild our life with God as priority, with God as center. We often need to hear a call to rebuild, which is what these people needed as well. And I can't give you the entire recap, but the short story of it is that God's people were in exile for several decades in Babylon. And they come back and they start, God tells them to rebuild the temple. That's the center of their worship. That's where, where they were able to experience all that God was for them. God tells them to rebuild the temple and they start and then 16 years go by and they do nothing. They get distracted. They start building their own houses and focusing on their own things and they lose the priority that God has for them. And then the prophet Haggai comes along and calls them back to refocus on who God is and what God's call for them is. And so we've been using this book and this passage to really talk about what it means for us to rebuild in our lives, to get focus back on what God calls us to. And as you're building your life, as you're building your life, I don't know if you think about it that much, but as you're building your life, we want more than what we can just create by ourselves. We want more than just what we can do, what our abilities, what our intellect, what our choices. We want more than what we can bring to the table. We want God's blessing on our life. 
And the way that that manifests sometimes is you may just pray for it. You may say, okay, here's what I have, but God, will you bless this? Will you bless this job that I'm having? Will you bless, and a lot of times we even use that word. We may, people may say that to us. They may say, I'm praying that God would bless this trip that you're on. I'm praying that God would bless your new home or your new family, or I'm praying that God would uh, bless this new job that you just got. Sometimes, it's not very popular anymore, but uh, a few years back, you know, it was very popular to kind of hashtag blessed and talk about all, you know, whatever it was. It might be someone with a picture of a new car and they'd say hashtag blessed, or it might be a picture of someone with new shoes and hashtag, hashtag blessed. And that kind of idea is that we want to experience blessing, whether that's tangible things or we ask God to, to bless the different endeavors and relationships and things that we have. And the idea with that is this. We we want more than what we can bring to the table. We are trying to build a life, trying to build a career, trying to build friendships, trying to build a family, trying to grow, trying to change, and we want more than just what we can do. We want God's blessing. We want him to be involved. Where do you want that right now? Where would it make a difference if God was to show up and bless certain areas of your life? Where have you prayed for that? Maybe even recently. Maybe you've asked people to pray for you. Maybe you've asked God yourself and have said, God, would you bless this? Where is that for you right now? Where are you bringing everything you have to the table, but you also are saying, God, could you come? Could you bless this? If you showed up, I know that this would be different. Where are you seeking, desiring God's blessing? What prayers are you praying Again, whether or not you use the word blessing, this is something that we desire as we seek to build our life, as we seek to obey God, as we seek to prioritize God in our life, we want his blessing. And we're going to jump in where they have been now working on the temple. The prophet Haggai spoke to them and they've been working on the temple now for about three months. And that's not that long of time, but they have been saying, all right, God, we're we're kind of committed now, we're focused, and for about three months, they've been building the temple. And we're going to explore this idea of blessing as God helps them see what keeps us from blessing and what we often try to do to get God's blessing and how we actually can experience it. So let's read this whole section, and then we'll go through and explore what it looks like to have God's blessing in our life. Haggai 2, 10 through 19. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, that's the kind of Babylonian or, excuse me, Persian king, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of armies says. Ask the priests for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment, and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? The priests answered, no. We'll come back to this in a second, but I just want you to get the whole picture, okay? Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? The priests answered, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai replied, so is this people and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands. Even what they offer there is defiled. Now, from this day on, think carefully. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's 
temple. What state were you in? When someone came to a grain heap of 20 measures, it only amounted to 10. When one came to the wine press to dip 50 measures from the vat, it only amounted to 20. I struck you, all the work of your hands, with blight, mildew, and hail, but you didn't turn to me. This is the Lord's declaration. From this day on, think carefully. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced. But from this day on, I will bless you. Now, let's start asking this question. What keeps us from blessing. Now listen, if you're new, especially if you're if this is maybe your first Sunday and you haven't joined us, this is a this is a, a str- anytime you kind of read some stuff in the Old Testament, it can be kind of strange and talking about carrying meat in your clothes and I mean this is all sorts of kind of weird things, right? And you're like, what is this even about? That's I knew it. I knew the Bible was weird. It talks about carrying oil and meat in your clothes. I would never do that. Even if I'm trying to sneak into the movie theater with food, I would never add a steak, you know? Um So it can kind of be weird stuff in here, okay? And we've talked about some of it already and kind of built some of the context, but I'm going to try to help us understand the the relevance for us and help us to see. But here's, here's the issue of what keeps us from blessing. Essentially, what he says is that our sin defiles us, that our sin defiles us, that when you and I sin, and because we are sinful people, Our sin is something that God hates. And let me just show you what he says again. He says, because of their sin, and this is stuff that he talked about in the first beginning, because of their sin of turning against God, of building other priorities, of idolatry, where they're worshiping other gods, where they're just ignoring God. They said they still worship God. They they even continue to offer sacrifices in some ways, but they were really prioritizing other things. God says, you're building your houses, but my house lies in ruins. So they have these, they, they are in a sinful state where they reject God or they ignore God. Both of those are sin. Some of us understand our sin to be rejecting God. God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm doing my own stuff. That's sin. But it's also sin to ignore God, which can be where you say, yeah, sure, I believe in God. Yeah, God's cool. But really, I'm just kind of living my own life. That was really the state that they were in. And he says this, I struck you all the work of your hands, everything that they were doing, all the farming, all the agricultural products that they were trying to produce. He says, I struck you with blight, mildew, hail, but you still didn't turn to me. What he's saying is, listen, you, you are, if you reflect on your life, you see that I have been judging you. You go in to get all your wine. You, you go in to get uh, uh, you know, 50, 50 liters of wine or gallons of wine, and it only comes out with 25. You go to harvest the seed, and you think it's going to be this big crop, and it's only half of that. He says, I have judged you. I have struck you. And the idea with this is what keeps us from blessing, and I know this sounds basic, but is our sin. But oftentimes, even though that sounds basic, oftentimes, don't we kind of operate as our issues are just our issues, and no one really has the right to tell me what's right or wrong for for me. Maybe it's wrong for you, but it's right for me. And who can really judge me? Isn't everyone just supposed to kind of make their own decisions? Or if it's not hurting anybody, it doesn't really matter. I'm just, I mean, what, part of what these people are guilty of is building 
their houses. Anyone bought a house recently? So it wasn't necessarily God condemning these people for murder and child sacrifice and all sorts of evil things that the Old Testament sometimes talks about. They were building houses. So very mundane kind of basic things, right? And so if it doesn't hurt anybody, who who cares? But they're rejecting and ignoring God. And it is easy for us a lot of times to think our issues are our issues These are private things. These are individual things. No one really has the right to speak into these things. And yet, the consistent message of the Bible is that God hates sin. God hates sin. He says, I see what you're doing, and I have actively judged you. Mildew, hail. Something else that I forgot. Mildew, hail, and something else. God's bringing things against them. Now, that might sound harsh. That might sound like, ugh, that's not the kind of God that I thought. But listen, all of us, all of us hate sin when it's done against us. Right? All of us hate sin when it's done against us. Nobody thinks, and, and, and when we see kind of those sins that we know are bad, no one thinks that Russia should just, well, no one in the U.S., thinks that Russia should just be like, ah, who cares? Let them do what they want. If they want to take over another country, eh, good for them. Like, we, we get behind. Even Democrats and Republicans get behind. Yeah, put sanctions on Russia. And there might be some disagreement on how much and how much involvement, but most people agree, yeah, they should have some judgment. They should have some punishment. They should have some hail and mildew. They should have some punishment, right? We get behind that. Because we know sin is wrong and it deserves judgment. It's just sometimes when we, we reflect on our life that we don't want that to happen. It's just sometimes when we look at our life that we go, ah, but you don't understand, but I'm doing this and that and one day and uh, I've got this excuse and this. It's just when it comes to our choices that we don't necessarily like sin and that we don't necessarily like judgment for sin. But What keeps us from blessing, very simply, is our sin. And what God says to do, and he says this throughout the book of Haggai, but in in these several different parts, he asks them to reflect. Think carefully. Think carefully. Think about your life, he says. Do you see? Do you see how I have frustrated your efforts Do you see how you you thought that life would fulfill in one way and it turned out empty? Now, I think this is good for us to reflect on. And I've said this almost every week because uh, Haggai brings it out and it's important to point out. Sometimes the wicked prosper. Just to talk about Russia again, not to pick on Russia, but just to talk about Russia again, there's multi-billion dollar you know, empire that, that people have there, right? There's evil oligarchy. There's Putin who's got billions of dollars. So sometimes the wicked prosper, right? That happens a lot. And yet, it's also true that at times we can look at our life and go, I wonder if some of the reasons that things have been frustrated, I wonder if God is actively involved in stopping me from achieving what I'm trying to achieve, in bringing judgment into my life. 
Or, and Haggai talked about this um, in the previous sermon that he gave, maybe it's just that I'm not fulfilled in the way I thought I would be. Maybe I'm going after things and getting them, but it's not actually fulfilling. It's not actually satisfying. And so I think it's helpful for us to do exactly what he tells us to do. Think carefully. Now, maybe not. Maybe your life is going great. That doesn't necessarily mean that it has God's blessing. And maybe your life is really struggling, and that doesn't necessarily mean that God's against you. The righteous can suffer, and the wicked can prosper. But think carefully. Reflect on your life. Even as he was doing this to them, it didn't work. God was trying to get their attention. God was trying to speak to them. God was trying to frustrate their lives and their plans, and it didn't work. But the reason that God was doing that all along was to draw them to him, not to just be some punitive dictator, but he was trying to draw them back to him to say, this way doesn't work, and I'm trying to bring you back to me. The same is true in your life. If you think carefully and you look at and go, you know what? Maybe I have experienced some of God's judgment. Maybe God has been frustrating the things that I've been trying to do because it's been wandering away from him. That's not because God's against you. That's actually because God is for you. And he's trying to bring you back to him instead of going this way. And he's not just allowing this way to be great. So what keeps us from blessing in many ways, very simple, and yet something we need to hear, that whether now or later, what will keep us from blessing is our sin, our rejecting and our ignoring of God. So how do we try to deal with that? If you feel that in any way, if you desire God's blessing in your life, if you want more than what you can bring, if you want to experience God's involvement in your relationships and in your career and in change and growth, you want God's blessing. If sin is what keeps us from it, how do we at times try to deal with our lack of blessing? Because many of us know instinctively, intuitively, that God is against our sin. We know this, and so we try to appease him in some way or to involve him in our life in some way. We know that God is against our sin, and so to try to deal with that, we kind of add religion as a seasoning of sorts, as a good luck charm or as some kind of way to say, okay, I've got this sin, but God, if I can kind of mix in some religion then maybe you'll be okay with me. Then maybe you'll be happy with me. Then maybe I can get some of your blessing. Then maybe I can get some of your involvement in my life. So we add religion in. And there's all sorts of ways of doing this. I, I reached, my wife and I were recently watching uh, the new rendition of West Side Story. Uh, and it, I don't know if you have ever seen West Side Story, but it's a, a very realistic movie about two gangs fighting while dancing. And um, it's, uh, it's, but it's two kind of warring gangs, right? Uh, the white gangs and the, the Puerto Rican gang, I might have been in favor of them. And uh, they're, they're at war against each other, right? But in one scene in kind of the new rendition, it's uh, the, the guy... And I can't remember the, the, girl, uh, the guy's name. The girl's name is Maria because she has a song. I don't know what the guy's name is. There's the Puerto Rican, uh, the white dude and the, the you know, Maria. And they, they just set before in this church kind of this stained glass and this altar. And they kneel before it. 
and they basically say their own, they do their own little wedding ceremony and say vows to one another. And, and then, you know, they go on to him kill, you know, not to give it away, but he, he kills somebody and then there's lying and gang fighting and all, all this stuff, right? But it kind of gives this little picture of let's add a little bit of God to bless all this other stuff that's happening in our life. Let's add a little bit of God's stuff. And that's just a movie. But this happens all the time at weddings. People that really don't have any involvement with God or any, aren't necessarily a part of a church, but they want a little bit of God sprinkled into their wedding so that they can have some blessing. Happens at funerals. People that really have no connection with church or God or anything like that most of the time in their lives. And then at a funeral, there's a lot of prayers that are prayed and there's a lot of maybe even a hymn that's sung, a psalm that's recited. Sometimes it's at, uh, we went to a NASCAR race. Um, uh, I don't remember, back in the summer, I think it was. And at the beginning of the NASCAR race, there was a prayer that was prayed for the NASCAR race, right? Add a little bit of kind of Jesus juice in to some things to make it blessed, right? To make it holy, to add it in. Now listen, I don't, you, NASCAR, weddings, funerals, but we do this all the time in our lives. We may, we may be in sin, and yet, well, let me just pray about some things here and there. I'm really kind of rejecting, ignoring God, but let me add some strategic prayers here and there. Maybe even go to church. Maybe even come. Listen, I want people here on Easter, but part of the reason that we're so full on Easter is, well, it's Easter. I gotta, gotta, if I'm going to add a little bit of Jesus stuff into my life, it'd be nice to do it on Easter. That feels holy. Or maybe even we serve at church or we serve other people in our life or we give financially or we, uh, we do kind of acts of love to certain people or maybe even we read a Bible story with our kids or we watch a Christian movie or we, uh, we, we want to bring our kids to church or we kind of add in religious parts to our life to deal with our lack of blessing. Because if I can kind of bring in a little bit of religious stuff, maybe I'll get some stuff from God. Maybe I'll get a little bit from God if I give a little bit to him. And I'm not saying we, we say it or think about it so consciously as that, but really that's what is happening. That if I can give a little bit to God, maybe he'll give a little bit to me. I know that I've got some sin and I lack God's blessing, but maybe I can deal with that and get God to be involved if I pray this prayer, if I do this thing. And it doesn't work. And what Haggai says is he uses the example back to the food and all of that stuff, that every work of their hands, even what they offer there is defiled. What he's saying is this, with this whole illustration with the food and all of that, he says that no matter what they do, it's still going to be defiled because they are defiled. When he says every work of their hands, even what they offer there is defiled, he's talking about religious acts. He's talking about what he's talking about right now, they're building the temple. He's talking about when they offer sacrifices at the temple, when they're doing very religious things, even that is defiled. Even as they're doing religious things, it's defiled because they are defiled. 
An illustration with the food is there was all sorts of different reasons that there might be consecrated meat or things like that. But he says, okay, if you've got, if you have this, this meat that you're carrying, this consecrated meat, if you have that and it touches other objects, will it make them holy? He says, no, you can't transfer holiness from one object to the next. But what if it, what if something defiled, what if something gross and that is ritually um, impure touches what is holy? Does that get messed with? And he says, yes, because you can't, you can't transfer holiness, but you can transfer defilement. Now, that might sound weird to us, but let me just give you an easy illustration. Sickness. If you're sick, think about that as the defiled person. If you're sick and you go to those that are not sick, so let's say you have COVID, right? And you go to a, bunch, you go to a room of a bunch of people that are healthy, they're quadruple boosted, whatever. You know, I don't, I don't know. They're, and you go in and you got COVID. You go to a big room of people that are healthy. You don't get well from them. You don't go, oh, it's okay. I, it's okay. I, I'm going to get your wellness transferred to me. But you could give COVID to everybody or the flu or whatever other diseases that we have, right? Everybody, you know, Choose your disease. You can transfer it to other people, but health doesn't transfer, right? Same way that uh, if, if you have something gross, like a plunger, let's say, a, a, like an actively being, has been used plunger, uh, I'm just trying to think of the grossest thing. You know, I hate a plungers. They're so gross. I wish some engineer would design a better tool and just like, it's just the grossest thing in the world. Um, <laughs> There's got to be a better way. Um, so <laughs> if you've got a plunger and you, and if I just kind of put it in your spaghetti, let's say, <laughs> just, <laughs> just trying to think of the grossest things I can right now. And I just kind of squish it into your spaghetti. You're not going to say, I'm glad I just made your plunger clean, right? <laughs> With you have this nice clean plate of food. It doesn't transfer. The defiled thing transfers into the clean thing. Okay? Does that make sense? Simple illustration. That's what he's doing with the food and the corpse and all that stuff. If I was Haggai, I would have been talking about a plunger and people would have been so sicked out the temple would have never got built. Okay. What he says is every single work of their hands, even what they offer, even the good things they're doing is defiled because they are defiled. So if we are sinful people, if we are rejecting and ignoring God, it doesn't matter how many good things we do. It doesn't matter if we work on building the temple. It doesn't matter if we give financially. It doesn't matter if we serve. It doesn't matter if we help those in need. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what good thing we come in contact with. It doesn't matter what good people we're in contact with. Showing up to church and being in contact with those that are well or those that are holy. It doesn't matter if we are rejecting ignoring God, if we are sinful, whatever we do is defiled. Whatever we do is tainted. If we have our heart set on ourself, set on other things more important than God, that's what I mean by rejecting, ignoring God. If we are like that, then even the best things that we do, like building a temple, even the best things that we do are still defiled. And 
That's true in two ways. It's true just because we are sinful, and so it doesn't matter what we do. But it's also true, and, and I think if we're honest, we can reflect upon our hearts and know this, that just be, no, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or something, but isn't it true that even the best things that you do at times are tainted with bad motives or mixed motives? I think there was a, a Friends episode about this uh, where they were talking about, can there be any truly selfless act? And the whole episode was trying to do a selfless act without any motive of selfishness involved in it. And that's true, isn't it? That even the best things we do, sometimes it's mixed with some, I'm not saying it's 50-50, but it's mixed. There's some taintedness. We're generous, but we kind of want the appreciation. We do something good, but we kind of want the recognition that comes along with it. We work hard at something that is beneficial to other people, but we also want to be seen as someone that works hard as beneficial to other people. Even the best things we do are often tainted in some way with our own selfishness, with our own self-focus. So, one of the ways that we try to deal with our lack of blessing is adding in these kind of religious things or doing good things, and yet he says, it doesn't work because we are defiled. We are sinful. So no matter what we touch, it also will be defiled. We want God's blessing, but we can't get it by just adding in religious components, by just going to church or giving or serving or whatever else, saying a prayer. So how do we get blessing? How do we get God's blessing? Because as we build a life, we want God's blessing. How do we get it? And there's a couple things we see in here. The first is repentance. He doesn't use that word, but he says that all of these things that he did, that the result was to get them to turn to him. The result of all the judgment and all the ways that he was frustrating their life was to get them to turn to him. That's what repentance is. It's when we turn from rejecting and ignoring God to turning to him to worship him, to love him, to know him. That wasn't working, but from this day on, which is signaling there's now been a change. They have now turned to him. That's the first part of how we begin to experience God's blessing is we turn away from our ignoring of him. We turn away from our rejecting of him. This is the core. So let me just ask you, have you turned to God? Not just have you done things, not just have you shown up to church or give or served or, you know, bought the coffee for the person behind you in line at Starbucks or not just have you done random acts of kind, but has your heart turned to God? Have you moved in an inner posture from I am going this way with my own stuff, my own priorities, my own life, to I'm turning to him, to know him, to love him, to worship him. This is demonstrated in action. For them, the action was demonstrated in building the temple, but it has to start at a heart posture. There's this place, I don't have it up here, but there's a place in 1 Peter, which is a letter in the New Testament that Peter is writing to the church, and he tells husbands this specifically, and maybe somebody needs to hear this today, but it's just a, a, a bigger illustration for how, how this works. He tells husbands, he says, God's not going to hear your prayers if you're being harsh with your wife. 
So think about that. They're praying, which means they're doing kind of these religious activities, but demonstrated in their action of being harsh with their wife is revealing that their heart is far from God. Even though their heart is far from God, even though they're praying to God, which is demonstrated in the way that they're treating their spouse. That's really what I'm trying to help us see. That if our hearts are far from God, even while engaged in religious things, God's not going to actively bless that. So it begins with repentance, which is to turn our heart to God, to turn our heart to him. Not just in action, but at a heart level. That's part of how you begin to get blessing. And listen, if you're not a Christian, that, that's, that starts becoming, as becoming a Christian. It starts from, I'm going this way, and I've been rejecting God, I've been ignoring God. I want to turn to him. I want to know him and love him and have him be what my life is. That begins that process of repentance. But then secondly, it is quite simply his grace of how we get a blessing. He says, from this day on, I will bless you. God does not have to forgive us. You and I have done things. We've had mixed motives. We have had tainted actions. I mean, there's, there's a, a wide spectrum of what we've done in our life. God doesn't have to forgive. God doesn't have to forgive us for anything that we have done, will do, are doing. He doesn't have to. And he could wait. He could wait. He says, from this day on, I will bless you. But listen, the temple's going to take four more years before it's completed. So it's not like once you finish this project that I've given to you, once you've really proven yourself, then once you do, once you finish the thing that I told you to do, then I'll start blessing you. That's not what he does. They have turned to him and he is being extremely gracious. They have lived a life of sin. They've lived years and years and years and years of ignoring God. God tells them to do something. They're still not finished with it. And he says, from this day on, even when nothing is completed yet, even when you've only been at this for three months, even though you had years and years and years of disobedience, from this day on, I'm going to bless you. This is God's grace. For them, there was immediate fruit, literally, in that he begins to produce agriculturally for them. He's no longer holding back and frustrating their efforts, but all the things that they're seeking to grow, all the different crops, the pomegranates, the olive trees, the figs, all of that will begin to be blessed. It'll begin to be harvestable in a profound way. So there's this immediate, objective, tangible gift that he gives to them, which is not just okay, we get this thing if we turn to God, that is always a symbol of that the covenant is present, that his goodness towards them is present, that his relationship with them is present and intact. Those tangible, physical, material blessings are helpful and good, but they're also a symbol, okay, God is for us. God is with us. He hasn't turned against us. He's on our side. He loves us. We belong to him. Those were symbolic of something greater that they had. For us, 
It's different. We're not living in the Old Testament where oftentimes the under the Old Covenant material blessings were directly connected. What we have as our blessings are different. Sometimes God will choose to materially bless you. And that's great. Other times and across the world, there are those that are Christians living in poor villages and that's going to be the rest of their life. But they still have God's blessing. As Christians... It's different for us than it exactly was for them, but we receive blessing graciously from him. Paul tells us in Ephesians that in Christ we have been blessed, that we have received all the heavenly spiritual blessings, which means that you, if you're a Christian, you have been blessed. If you are a Christian, you have received forgiveness from God. That's one of the biggest blessings that you could ever have. If you're a Christian, you've received adoption into his family. That means you can be closely connected to him relationally and to his people. If you're a Christian, you've received the Holy Spirit, which means you're not alone, but that God actually dwells with you. He is working inside of you from the inside out, changing you and your desires and creating in you to not necessarily have figs and olives, but the fruit of the Spirit. He's creating in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. The Spirit is at work creating that fruit, giving that to you as a gift, as a blessing. If you are a Christian, you have his presence with you all the time. You have his power with you all the time to do the things that he has called you to do. If you're a Christian, you have the blessing of hope that you know that your future is guaranteed. If you are a Christian, you have a deep purpose and meaning in your life that whatever you engage in, you know I'm a part of what God is doing in this world. I get to join with him and be a part of what he's doing. So we don't necessarily have olives and figs and, and these material blessings that God gives, but God gives to us in his grace blessing as well in the most profound way. We experience all of the blessings that he gives in Christ. So if you're wondering if you can be close to God, if you're wondering if you can be forgiven, if you're wondering if God hears you or if your sin has been too much or if he's just distant or he's paying attention to kind of other people instead of you, if, if you wonder any of those things, what he says is you do get blessing as you turn from your sin to him and just because of his grace. In his grace, he blesses you. You don't have to equal the scales. They had years and years and years of sin and apathy and a few months of obedience. You don't have to even the scales. We could never do that. You get God's blessing because of his grace. You get God's blessing because he chooses to be gracious and give you all the things that I just said. That's way more than you could ever pay for. You could never pay for or earn God's presence and God's forgiveness and God's power. You could never earn that or, or work or add enough kind of religious seasoning in your life. to get. You can never get that. But in his grace, he gives to us all the spiritual blessings that we could ever desire. Now, how? How does he give all that to us? How do we get the blessing? It's through repentance. It's through his grace. But how is it that he gives it to us? How does he choose? What's, what's the way that that comes to us? 
It just to come back to this, he's, he says there's all of this sin, right? I struck you in the work of your hands, and there was all this judgment and everything that they tried to do. They tried to get this much wine. They only got this much wine. They tried to get this much grain. They only got this. All of this sin, all of the idolatry, all of the ignoring God, there's all of that stuff, right? Years and years and years and years. And then it says, but from this day on. That but is huge. Sir Mix-a-Lot would be proud, right? That's a, that is a big but that everything else on the other side of the equation comes from. That's a, it, but this, this costs something. A, a nice butt costs something. That's what my fitness trainer tells me. <laughs> to get a good butt costs something, okay? Enough butt jokes. But the, it's, there's all of this sin on this side of the butt, and on this side is blessing. That but costs something. Now, he doesn't go into all the details of where that comes from and how it comes, but the temple represented that. The temple represented how it is that sinful, defiled people can move from there to blessing. The temple represented how do sinful, unclean, defiled people with hearts away from God that reject God and ignore God, how do they go from that to from this day on I will bless? And the temple said that through the sacrifice, that through the the life of an animal, its death, its blood paid the price for all of the stuff on this side and brought them into blessing. It said that all of the defilement and all the uncleanness was cleansed through putting the sin upon this animal as a substitute for them and then it being wiped away, which ultimately was pointing to Jesus, who says he is the one that comes as God's presence on this earth, no longer as a physical temple. He says, I am the place where all of the sin gets put upon me, and then you get to experience from this day on blessing. I'm the one that all the defilement comes upon. It says about Jesus that on the cross, and it's such interesting language, that he became sin. doesn't mean that he sinned, but it says he became sin. It's he took on the defilement. He was touched by all of this world's impurity and unholiness and defilement and impure motives and stealing, and cheating, and lusting, and lying, and and idolatry, all of it put upon him. And he experienced the defilement of it, the curse of it, and ultimately God's judgment and wrath of it on the cross, dying. And those that are connected to him then are cleaned and are purified. See, this but has a cost. He says, all of this sin, but from this day on, blessing. And we know that the cost was paid by Jesus. That he gives us his purity and his holiness by taking on our defilement. Now, why, why tell all this to them? Why, why go through this illustration, this story, and give all this to them? Well, really, it's, it's, and it's the same thing that we need to hear. It gives them courage to keep going, 
to keep building. They're, they're in the middle. They're three months into doing what God has said of building the temple, and they've got a few more years to go. And to remind them of where they've come from and the blessing that God's going to do in their life now and the blessing he will continue to do gives them the courage and the confidence and the love to continue, to keep going. His grace for them becomes their power. His grace for them becomes their motivation. See, if you remembered, and if I remember, if we remember together, if you, if you remember your sin and yet how much grace he gives to you, all the blessings that I kind of rehearsed, if you remember that, that helps you to keep going. It helps you not to reject and ignore him anymore because you see how good he is. It helps you not to prioritize other things because you want to be with him. You want to obey him. And Jesus says, if you love me, you obey what I command. You want to obey what he commands because you love him and you love him because you're remembering all the blessings that he's given to you in Christ. And so you want to keep going in what he's called you to. See, if we remember our sin, his grace, his blessing, what could you continue doing that is hard? What hope could you have even in the middle of, all right, we're building. There's other things that we used to do. There's other things we could be a part. What could you continue in? If you remembered his grace, his blessing, God wants us to focus. He wants us to endure. He wants us to build in the life that he's called us to. He wants us to have him as priority, but it takes remembering his grace, his blessing, where we've come from. We all want blessing. We all want blessing. We all want more than what we can bring to the table in our own life. We all want that. As we rebuild in our lives or refocus in our life, or maybe you're hearing that call today, we all want that. How do we get it? That's the question that we've really been looking at. How do we get God's blessing? Sin is what keeps us from it. It's not by adding religious seasoning to our life, but it's through coming to him and experiencing his grace that he's given to us in Christ. And when we take communion, that's what we're remembering. We're remembering the blessing that he bought for us. We're remembering the cost of the blessing. We're remembering his body broken and his blood shed to cleanse our defilement and to give us his acceptance, his adoption, his purification, his, his hope that we have now being connected to him. Through his death, our defilement is removed. Through his resurrection, his purity and acceptance is given to us so that now we can have a confidence that we can experience those blessings now and forever. Sometimes materially, we get a blessing, but every spiritual blessing is ours connected to Jesus. So let's take a moment and pray. If you're a Christian, as you take communion, just take some time and maybe do what Haggai says. Think carefully about your life. Are there areas where God has been disciplining or bringing judgment into your life? Confess, sin to him. And then just take time and remember and rejoice in the blessings that he's given to you, that he bought at a great cost through Jesus. Father, I thank you for your grace for us. I thank you that you that you've given us every spiritual blessing in Christ.
We want lives that have blessing. We want lives that are more than just what we have. And you give that to us in Jesus. So help us to just rehearse that even now and to remember that and sing that and respond to that even now. Your goodness to us. God, forgive us that we do pursue other things, that we do reject, we do ignore you. Draw us back even in this time to you and assure us with your goodness and your grace. In your name, Jesus, amen.